Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Hello and welcome to Backspin once again. My name's Steve Anderson. We're here thanks to Inside Golf. And of course, I'm here with this bloke next to me, Larry Canning. Good day to you, sir. Good day back at you, young sir. Young, Thank slightly you younger than me, sir. It's nice to formalise it a little bit every once in a while, isn't it? Listen, we're getting more and more excited. <laughs> in fact, I can see your excitement about the World Cup of Golf, which is coming up in Melbourne. The ISPA Handa uh, Melbourne World Cup of Golf in November and we'll talk some more about it soon the players have been announced and uh, yeah it's going to be a great event oh looking forward to it Steve we're going to be there you and I are going to be there we might even play we might even have a hit. Is there like a, is there like a, a, a Australian B team? We could jump on that. I perhaps. don't think so. Anyhow, you're going to go one-on-one with an old mate of yours, Peter Chook Fowler, who actually won the World Cup. He has won the World Cup, 1989, Steve, and he and Wayne Grady won for Australia, and that was when there was a singles on as well, and he won the singles and a massive check. Uh, great career, Chook, yeah, and it's, he's, he's into a second part of his career. He was a real heartthrob back in the day, wasn't he? Back oh, in the look, early I, 80s? Look, I travelled with him, and I, I, I couldn't see, see any of that. No, not a... No, definitely not. Not at all. Okay, no, maybe no. I just made that up. I just remember when, when he won the Australian Open back in the uh, 1983, thereabouts, down at Kingston Heath, and I thought he was a bit of a, a sex symbol at that stage. Again, no, maybe okay. I made that up. No, no, you probably made... You know, you, you get it off your mind, there, Steve. Anyhow, get it off your chest. No, share anyhow, it. It's you, okay. You'd know better than I would, but I wasn't there for the interview. You said, Steve, I want alone time with uh, <laughs> with Chuck for this one. So you went one-on-one, and uh, you got a pretty pretty good chat with him coming yep, up in, great, in yeah. the show. Yes. Um, we're going to talk with another dear old friend of ours. Well, she's not old, but you know we've known her for a while now. We consider her a friend. Robin Cooper, who is the executive director of the ISPA Handa Melbourne World Cup. Uh, we spoke with Robin before the mm-hmm. player announcement, and we said, Robin, we'll talk to you after the players have been announced. Yeah, she she adds a bit of colour to uh, the whole thing, doesn't she? She's got some good statistics too. She's, she knows a lot about, a lot more about the game than she she uh, she lets on, Steve. She, I remember when we first had her on, she said, don't ask me any factual stuff. Um, in terms of statistical stuff, and, and and but she knows it all. She's got it all at her fingertips, so to speak. Um, another person we're talking with today is Ian Edwards. Now, Ian, this is a, I, I really didn't know Ian's story. I didn't know the story about MGI, uh, the company that makes golf buggies. Well, where have you uh, been, fella? I I don't know. I just it never resonated with me until now. It's a fantastic story about an Australian company that started 25 years ago. Was started Ian Edwards as the founder. Yep, and it's a fantastic story it is it's a wonderful story and what a what a brand of i mean it's not just a brand it's the leading brand clearly isn't it of golf motorized golf buggies yeah wow the stuff he knows about that and the technology that's gone into that and the changes over those 25 years steve has been fascinating well one of the things that uh, we we didn't know ian mentioned this to us uh when we spoke with him was the fact that in orlando the pga have their it's a merchandise uh, it's a massive thing it's a huge thing 2,000 exhibitors yep. at the show in Orlando. Mm-hmm. There is one Australian company there. Yep, MGI. MGI. Yeah. Ian Edwards, yeah. Incredible story. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. And he also mentioned to us that all the other uh, golf buggy makers, you know, they're trying to get next to him. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you see KFC there and McDonald's there and Red Rooster, you know, you see all the takeaway food shops lined up. They're all trying to muscle in on, on Ian Edwards and MGI's territory at, uh, at, at, at Orlando so yeah he, he's he's really at the forefront path. Isn't he? yeah, yeah he is yeah and you've got a, a t- 
tip coming up as well. It's about waggling. It's about your waggle, Steve. You yeah. need a good waggle. Yeah, okay. Have you? What's your waggle like? Well, mine's more of a quiver, I would say. <laughs> A <laughs> little bit of a jiggle, maybe a wobble here and there. That but quiver, at the end of the day, right. what I'm trying to do when I play golf is it's waggle. It's a terrifying yeah. wiggle, yes. But there are a few other words that people would use, but you're going to talk more about waggling yes, the and the importance of, a good waggle. of waggling later in Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. We should also mention that if anyone wants to communicate with us, which some people do sometimes, they can go to our Facebook page. How's it coming along? Oh, fantastic, Steve. Yeah, it's brilliant. Excellent. Very good. What Still got the same name. <laughs> the Backspin <laughs> Facebook page. That's the one. Yep. Or you can contact us through Inside Golf as well. That's a great website, insidegolf.com.au. There is so much information on there. There's a photo of our old mate Richard Fellner looking a million bucks. He's a good-looking man. Richard. Well, we always have to get his name into the program somewhere, so that's it. Yeah, we've done it. Let's go back to the World Cup of Golf. The player announcement... Uh, has has happened not that long ago, and you were pretty impressed with uh, the, the some of the names that have appeared from around the world. Who are the ones that particularly caught your fancy? Well, but uh, I, I love um, I love good young players. I've been watching for a little while, watching them climb up the ladder. Kira Death Affy Barnrat. Asia's version of um, John Daly, they call him. But, uh, you know, that's a bit of a, a detriment, I think, to him. He's um, he's lost a lot of weight. He's fit fitter now. But just an e- enormous talent. Brandon Grace, who's nearly won a couple of majors, come very close to a US Open. Uh, Thorburn Olison, who's had a, an amazing year uh, and defending champion, in fact, uh, on the European tour. China's Hao Tong Lee. Uh, Germany, Martin Kamen. Now, there's a name from the past. Yeah. Uh, two US, uh, two US Opens? No, a US Open, US PGA champion. Wonderful player and a great representative for Germany. Wonderful bloke as well. There's a bunch of guys that I'm really looking forward to. Thomas Peters always gets my eye, Steve. Now, if, if, if I can have a man crush, not maybe on the bloke, but the way he plays, can you have a crush on the way this guy plays? Uh, you can, obviously. I, well, I just, you obviously I just have. It, it, oh, it, geez, it's, it's a special talent. It what really is it about is. his game that, that you love so much? A beautiful golf swing, but the power he can hit it with, with, with such little effort, and the way he can move the golf ball around, he can curve it. And it's a, it's a very rare breed of, of, of modern player that can do both of those things. Bubba Watson's the other one, and I can't stand the guy, but watching him play, like, this is like watching Thomas Peters. He can just curve it around wherever he likes and hits it miles. And an aggressive player. I love aggression. I grip my teeth like that when I say you aggression. You do, I can see that. Speaking of Americans, uh, Matt Kuchar and Kyle Stanley. Now, a do- lot of talk about you know the fact that... I mean, there, there there are a lot of Americans right at the top of the rankings, and maybe I don't know where Matt Kuchar is at the moment. I don't know where Kyle Stanley is, but listen, two really, really good players oh, representing players. America. I think we've we've got a bit of a crossover with the Ryder Cup, Steve, which yeah. is being played very soon. So, I think a lot of the players were were throwing everything at that, and um, the American players to get on that team, and and maybe. These guys, I know Kyle Stanley didn't get on that team, so maybe they're more keen to, to throw the, everything into the World Cup instead of that. So I think there's a bit of a crossover. And unfortunately, next uh, next time we have the, this Cup, hopefully we won't have that um, that crossover. And uh, obviously representing Venezuela is one of your favourites, a fellow named Jonathan. Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> you, you go and try and say it. Jonathan Vegas. It's, it should be easy to say, Jonathan. It's J-H-O-N-A-T-T-A-N. So yeah. I don't know what that says, but I, I'm going to call him Johnny, Johnny Vegas. 
because I just love it. I just love saying it. And another very, very good player. Johnny Vegas. Yeah, he's won twice in America. Yep, very good player. Representing Australia. Ven- Venezuelan he is, Yeah, too. he is. He's Venezuelan. Yeah, yeah, there's, no, there's no I in there. It's not Venezuelan. Oh, it's Venezuelan. That. Yeah, go on. Off you go. <laughs> you and your you can, I, I can say Jonathan. You and your extra vowels. Jonathan. Unbelievable. Jonathan. Um, let's talk about the Australian team. Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith. There's a powerhouse team. It a couple is. of blokes that yeah. are, are really performing. Yeah, they definitely both are they're, they're getting towards the peak of their game. Well, Cam Smith is just on this incredible journey, isn't he, over the last couple of years? As current Australian PGA champion, he has a, a European tour card as well as a US tour card. He played a little bit in Europe and played well. Um, and and those, those two, first two finishes in the uh, the FedEx Cup, a third in both of them, wow. He is in some fantastic form. Mark Leishman, well, when the when the big tournaments are on, this guy just fires. So, I, look, I'm, I'm going to put them as outright favourites, and which is probably a bad thing in terms of it'll put more pressure on them. Not the fact that I've said it, but I think most Australians would consider them, Most everyone in the game would probably consider them as favourites. But I, I, I'm looking forward to watching Cam Smith again. I watched him last year at the Australian PGA Championship, and he's changed his game around. He's curving the ball from left to right now. Bit of a fade. He was a drawer when he first came on the tour. And the fade, obviously, suiting him better. He can hit it harder without the fear of hooking it. Magnificent short game. Eh, great team. We actually sat in on a, uh, a conference, a teleconference, with Cam Smith and Mark Leishman the other day. We, we didn't actually say anything. We just listened, didn't we? <laughs> we wanted to. We wanted to say some things. We, but yeah, we, Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Mark, Leish. Leish, it's me, Steve. Ring me, Marky, just <laughs> ring me, ring me. No, but the interesting thing about hearing this chat with the, with the boys was how much it means to them yeah, yep. to represent their country in an event like this. I mean, a little snippet of that conversation or the one-way conversation as it was, but Cam Smith, uh, this is what he had to say on what it meant to play in the World Cup. One of my priorities was to get into the top 50, to get into that Masters field, and then secondly was to get on this on this team. So tick both of those off I mean, one year was... Yeah, I mean, it's, just been a, it's just been an unreal year, basically. Now, when you look at that as a, a bucket list for a year, mm. to put this this event up with the, those other, you know, the Masters, yes, yes. that sort of thing, that shows how much it means to a player yeah. like Cam Smith. Yeah, well, Cam's represented Australia as an amateur too, Steve, so he knows what it's like to represent your country. He was in the, um, the Eisenhower Cup team. A few years ago, so yeah, he, he, clearly he wants to be in this team. Yeah, same as uh, Mark Leishman. He he talked about the importance of representing a country, probably slightly different way, a bit more broad in the way he saw it. But here's what he had to say: On the Olympics, you know, I wasn't able to go to, to the Olympics in Rio. It's just it's nice to be able to represent your country. It's, it's something that makes me very proud. So he he was talking about you know different things. I mean, mm-hmm. events like the Olympics. That that's one of his dreams is to play golf at the Olympics. But he just got that sense that it was a really important thing to them yeah well playing for playing for your, your country professionals don't get that opportunity very often Steve as you know we just talked about Cam you know having represented Australia as an amateur I don't, I don't think Mark did but you know it's such a singular game and when they get to to be as a team uh, that's one that's a, that's, a, that's a bonus that's great but to, to represent your country you can see how Mark how important it is Mark because he's talking about the Olympics which they play for nothing not a cent so you can see that yeah it's important to Mark as well where are the challenges in, in playing as a team um, I think that, I don't know how much they've played together because I mean Cam's only twenty four, Mark's um, in his mid to late thirties, so you'd have to you'd have to think they haven't played a lot together. So I I, I think well between now when the tournament's on, the World Cup is on in, in November, I think they'll play a lot of practice rounds together, work out the strengths and weaknesses of either game, um, and work out who's going to be who's going to take the aggressive role, who's going to take the the safer role, who's going to hit off first and the two ball the, the best ball events, you know, who's going to hit the safe iron down the center, the other guy hits a driver. So they've got a lot to work out between now and then. that's the challenge. 
Um, they're clearly their friends and they play on the same tour. So, yeah, there's no problem with their relationship with each other. But I've actually seen you in a best ball event playing with one of your old mates. And this oh, is this is a bloke. Yeah. This, is, this was the New South Wales uh, the, Best Ball Championship. PGA Best Ball, yeah. And over two rounds, what's this, about 10 years ago or yeah. something, you played yeah. with an old mate of yours, Herney, Chris Hearn. Yep. And you guys, after the first round, you two were 10 under. Yeah. <laughs> you were we leading were. the event. We were leading it. We were running it and leading it. Yeah. Well, Herney wasn't, but you and I were running that event. Oh, Herney, yeah, we Herney were running was it. Just, yeah, well, Herney, Herney was, was on fire, fire He's day. a good player. Ten under. And Chris Hearn, listeners, I mean, that's a name from the past. Maybe some of you haven't heard of. I was best man at his wedding, so I know it very well. But, geez, that guy could play. Just yeah. to throw that out there. And on that particular day, he just shot the lights out of that course, yep, didn't he? He broke but it. What, playing, you, you, you played very well as a team. Because yeah. I followed you guys around. I wasn't playing that day. I played the next day, but I wasn't playing that day. But I followed you guys around. And just the way you worked as a team, does that just come from knowing yeah, someone yeah, and yeah. their game for so long? Yeah, we've played together for that many years. I know holes that, that suit him, that, that, that uh, there are holes that suited me. I was curving the ball left to right. He's a hooker, a, draw, a drawer. So there were pins he could go at on the left-hand side. So to go for that, I'd go for the centre of the green. So we had a par, at least, at worst, you know, in, in the bag. Yeah, that's the way. It, it, it was an in, it's instinctive for us because we've known each other 40-something years. And then we went out for dinner at an Italian restaurant that night. Ordered each all, other's meals. Did you notice it that? Was I all, ordered his, he ordered mine. It was all downhill the next day. <laughs> Anyhow, good times. The ISPA Hander Melbourne World Cup of Golf starts around 1 22nd of November, and we'll talk with Robin Cooper about that some more. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. More soon. The Backspin interview. Thanks to Inside Golf. Peter Fowler has been a leading name in Australian golf for many years now, really bursting into prominence in 1983 with victory in the Australian Open at Kingston Heath but he was also part of the 1989 Australian team in the World Cup partnering with Wayne Grady to take out the title back in that year. Larry, uh, Peter Fowler's a bloke you've known for a long, long time and you've got a lot of time for him uh, both as a, a, not only as a golfer but as a, a person as well. Oh yeah, yeah. He's um, easily the most humble golf professional I've ever met, Stephen. There's not many of us around. <laughs> he's done so many good things but he's the first guy to talk himself down and he has one of the best short games the world has ever seen and has been acknowledged by some of the best players, including the great Seve Ballesteros, once suggested he had the best short game. Well, I'm going to take a back seat because you went one-on-one with Chuck, as you like to call him, and let's hear what the result was. Peter Fowler, welcome to Backspin. Thank you, Larry, for having me on. Mate, look, a lot of golf fans obviously are familiar with your name, you know, having won tournaments in Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, including the Australian Open, of course, in the 80s and 90s, but what a lot of people probably aren't aware is what you're doing in Europe, on the European seniors tour at the moment. Six victories since turning 50, including the Willows Senior Golf Classic last August. Congratulations on that last victory, Chuck, for a start. And talk us through that. It was a two-shot victory. Was it clean sailing for you? Plenty had one bogey, and uh, but I managed four birdies. I birdied the last. I think that Ooh, nice. that stopped Gary Orr, who was the group behind me. Uh, he got it in there about 12 foot away and, and just slipped out his putt. So I ended up winning by two. But that birdie on the last was crucial, really. This last victory, is it the most rewarding, do you think? I think I've got a few more. Hopefully my game's still improving, uh, which I've shown over the last sort of 10 years that I have improved. Every win's very rewarding and, you know, look forward to a few more. But I suppose, uh, like, I've been on the seniors tour for nine years, although I missed my first year due to the back surgery. But since then, I've probably played my best golf ever. And um, they told me I've played over 100 events on the, yeah, on the what, what's called the Stayshore Tour now, part of the European yep, yep, Tour. Yep. And um, I've had more than 50% top 10, so that's probably... That's extraordinary, um, mate. Um, 
So that's consistency I'm proud of. So it's a case of the 80s and 90s one where you were winning all around the world and now the senior one. How do you compare them? Is, is one more rewarding than the other? Yeah, well, you know, for me, golf really evolved rather than sort of planned to play the world tour. So I was a bit haphazard. When, when I look back on it, I was very haphazard in my in my approach and it's it's no wonder the, the driven guys like Greg Norman and, and Faldo sort of was well in front of us. Since I, I lost my card in the mid-90s in Europe and I got it back and played for another 10 years and then I had back surgery and I was out for another year. Those two episodes where, you know, I thought my game was and my career was finished, you know, I, I dug deep and so, yeah, over the last 10 years I've I've used technology a lot more, you know, biomechanics, um, you know, the track man, the simulators and I've, um, you know, sort of invested a lot of my money into trying to learn how I can get my game and my body to work better and um, I think it's really paid off. It's kind of a case I see that, not that I played in Europe or America, but I can see the tours there have definitely evolved, Chuck, from right back when the senior tour began. It was kind of like a boys club, wasn't it? The old boys that were good players invited to play in these almost exhibition matches in Europe and, and America after turning 50. Now it's become a really serious tour and, and fitness is a massive issue, isn't it, Chuck? I mean, look at Bernard Langer. He's yep. actually older than us um, and, my God, he's playing as good as he, as he ever has, like you're saying you are. But, you know, fitness is massive now and it's not the private school, let's just have a hit with mates and make lots of money. It's serious stuff, isn't it? Yeah, Bernard Langer's a great example. His body has always been the same since I met him in the early 80s. He's always worked really hard and he's still working really hard. And I, what I can see is there's there's a lot of good players playing Champions to household names in America and there's fear in Europe. The guys that are still working and, and committed to their, to their game and improving on a daily and weekly basis, they're the guys that are playing well. Anybody that just turns up and expects to have a hit and be successful, they find out very quickly that their game's just not sharp. You know, when you're not working hard and, and hitting a lot of balls and playing a lot of tournaments, you do lose a lot of power. You have to mm. keep it up. And unfortunately, a lot of the guys aren't fit enough to keep doing that. You'd be one of the longer players out there, wouldn't you? Now I am. You know, I was always a sort of average, but I've, I've worked hard on, on keeping my speed. So guys that we used to hit the same, and um, I, I'm, I'm much longer now. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and the longer hitters, I'm driving um, the same, if not further. So, you know, I've picked up 30, 40 yards on those guys, so, which gives me a lot of you know, confidence when I'm playing the events. Now, on a different tack, Chuck, one of you, we're talking about distance. Obviously, that's not all it takes to, to win on the on any tour. You were one of the most famous short game experts. In, in fact, probably in the world, I don't think I'm overselling that. Uh, and there is a quote from Seve saying you had the best short game he'd ever seen. Your relationship with Seve, Chuck, I know you played with him a lot. Um, you played a lot of practice rounds with him. Now, surely there's two of the best short game players that the world's ever seen, right in that group. I would love to have known. In fact, I wouldn't have liked to have been the third player in that group, but I finished up with the year. But your relationship with Savi Chog, how was that? I was fortunate enough to play in a, in a fabulous era for European golf or world golf, you know, with Savi and Langer and Lyle and Woosnam and Faldo and, you know, Lazabal and, and uh, Montgomery and those guys. And it's, um, but Savi, I played it with a lot in, in the British Open, which is you can't pick a better tournament for Savi to show his. You know, mm. he's real class and yep. uh, his sharpness and that. And he sort of, you know, he got his short game from being brought up near the seaside playing just a three iron and all that sort of stuff. You know, I don't think technically I'm probably the best short game, but I, I was desperate to play the tour and I just I got it. I just got mine to work. And I think that's deep down you can have a great, you know, be technically good. You've got to spend the time in and get that 
it's the X factor. You can't really measure yeah. some the variation, some Chuck, and, and the variation of playing a particular shot, and that's what guys like you and Seve and, and Brett Brunford's another example. I think that you, you watch yes. them play, and you can see them play a shot that you, you you technically it doesn't look right, but the ball just you know appears up straight up in the air, or it lands into a bank, or it, it runs, or it doesn't. And that's what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. You know, for, for example, you know, throughout my my younger career, if I couldn't play a shot, I would find a, a spot on the around the practice green or, or or on the golf course, and I would hit it enough times that I actually I could play it. And some of them took mm. me ten years to be able to conquer. But you know, you've always got a, a couple of shots to play the you know in, in certain certain circumstances, and um, you know that it's really just down to grinding it out. Mm. You know, like there is some naturally talented players in the world, but most of them don't last very long, unfortunately, because if it goes wrong, they don't know what to do. Mm. You know, but you know, I think it. The guy's still playing well, or the guys are still working at it. Now, another chalk secret, Peter Fowler's secret, is your your daughters, uh, Georgia and Kate. Now, Georgia uh, and people wouldn't know this surely that that she is Georgia Fowler. We're talking about is one of the world's most famous models. Now, she's recently been chosen to model for Victoria's Secret, which I'm told is pretty special by my wife Sandra. Yes, I wasn't uh, invited, so it must be very special. And and when I look back, Chuck, at, uh, at when we were sharing cheap motel rooms on Yarrawonga or somewhere, I. I must have missed something because I, I didn't quite I didn't find you as attractive as as what might have, you know <laughs> might have been that your daughters have become. Obviously, Kim's beautiful, but this is an extreme. What's that like having a, like a well famous daughter? How's that go with you? She's going really well. She's just just been picked again for her third Victoria's Secret wow. show the last three years. So that's uh, she works really hard for that. She's she's an extremely hard worker, dedicated, watches a diet much more better than I do. But um, yeah, she deserves everything she's got. She's she's worked hard in the last she's modeled for 10 years now or more and um she's chipped away at it it's never been um it's it's not always as glamorous as Mm -hmm. what you you see but but she takes care of business and one of the things we always said when she was getting up is you know going through the ranks is you know whatever you're getting paid on that you got to do the best job ever you got to turn Mm -hmm. up fresh and ready and she's uh, really applied herself, so you know it's no surprise she gets up there. That's a family. But uh, you know, I'm, for, I'm fortunate uh, that um, Kim's extremely attractive, and uh, that's rubbed off my daughters. But uh, yeah, all my all my four children, they all they all work incredibly hard. And yeah, uh, diplomatic that is. <laughs> nicely worded, mate. There is so many other secrets about you that, that are clean and nice, but we, we're running a bit short of time. Chuck, we'd like to talk about the World Cup. You're, you've won the World Cup when when it was uh, two people in the side playing single, singly, in the same group, I imagine. It was when you played with Wayne Grady in 1989. You, That's correct, yes. Yeah, Australia won the team event, but you also won the individual title. And when I look at the the names that have that have won that, I mean, that's that's an extraordinary win. And I didn't mention it earlier because I wanted to keep it up my sleeve. And even the Australian teams that have won it, Thompson, Nagel, David Graham, Bruce Devlin, Jason Day, Adam Scott—they've all won majors, Chuck, and you deserve to be in that list. But just can you can you can you recall arriving uh, at that golf tournament and thinking, "Geez, I could I could go right here." When you won, was it like, "Well, I you know I figured I could I could beat these guys," and I did. How was that? Yeah, well, like uh, fortunate that um, I was partnered with Wayne Grady, who was it was a champion in my eyes, and so he I knew he was the the backbone of the team. You know, he was playing in in the states at the time. And um, we arrived there. Actually, it was terrible weather that week, so it was it was cut to two rounds. The first, uh, I think the, the the second round and the 
and the last round was washed out. But um, oh, so a lot of sitting yeah, around we got in the locker room, took a lot of nerves. Yeah, a lot of nerves. And um, but uh, yeah, playing with greys was great. You can, you know, it's unusual for a golfer because normally you're on your own, your mm. thoughts are yourselves. But you know, like you're, I'm relaying to to my thoughts. You know, what should I do here? And. Mm. You know, you can lean on your partner a little bit. And, and Wayne, uh, he leant on me. I said, no, mate, we're on the – I remember this. We both birded this long par three over water on the 11th, the first day. At the time, we were tied with America. But we both birdied it, and they both double bogeyed it. Oh. And then the next – the very next hole, Grades was going to drive it down the fairway. I said, no, no, mate, it's one iron through these palm trees down this other fairway. And we both hit one iron over there and six iron on the green and both eagled that. So we oh, picked up kidding, 10 shots really? in two holes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was really, you know, but that, you know, we're sort of, you know, I analysed the course and I, and I mm. found a different way. You know, Gray's normally hits it so straight, he just keeps going mm. in the fairway mm. where I'll try, any, I'll try anything to, <laughs> to to get some advantage. So, um, you know, that paid off. But, uh, yeah, playing in a team event was great. You know, you can you can share share the fun and the success mm. um, together rather than you, usually on your own. It's such a rare form in professional golf, isn't it? Now, Chuck, yeah. finally, your fantastic career didn't start off all that brilliantly. And, and I know this is a story I'd like you to share with us again. Your first professional shot as a trainee professional at, at Pennant Hills yes. wasn't actually the highlight of your career, was it, mate? No, I remember I, I was I was pretty nervous. I get pretty nervous, but I think you have to pl- to play your best. You do get nervous, but uh, yeah, I stood on the first tee, and the, uh, Ian Alexander, the professional, who, who's still my coach now, he was he came out of the pro shop to watch me tee off, and there's 30 of you assistant pros behind me, and uh, playing with Greg Hannon and Bob Werrell, and I managed to um, I thought I'd hit a three wood to play safe, and I managed to nearly miss it. Took a big divot beside the tee, and the ball popped up, hit a gum tree on the edge of the tee, bounced back into the garden. So that was uh, backwards. That was my first uh, first ever shot. <laughs> I was too nervous to take too nervous to take a free drop, so I chopped it out of the garden under the tee, hit it down the fairway, and then I hit my th- my fourth shot just short of the green over this hill, and got down there. And the guys in front said, "No, oh, a dog just stole your ball." And went up into the houses. So. Anyway, up and down it for a bogey in in the end. So um, that, that was a start possibly, of my career. It could be the, possibly the greatest bogey I've ever heard of. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, no, but yeah, golf's been fun, so I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, definitely. Went. Instead of going backwards in that first tee shot, it actually is now going forward for you, and still is. Congratulations, Chuck, for your career and, and for this what you're doing on the seniors tour. Um, you're you're, uh, you're one of the most unsung Australian heroes I, I, I can imagine and, and thank you again for being part of Backspin thanks mate no thanks Larry and great to be on the show and all the best to you cheers mate thanks to Inside Golf this is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson the name MGI is synonymous with motorised golf buggies both here in Australia and overseas as well since MGI started in 1993 this Australian owned and operated company has developed a formidable reputation which has been built on experience, innovation and quality of design, commitment to those three things. Now, MGI has revolutionised the concept of motorised golf buggies. They've followed a path of technology and superior design and therefore the motorised golf buggies they produce have become objects of desire and a pretty desired addition to the game of golf as well. The founder of MGI all those years ago, back in 1993, was Ian Edwards and he joins us on the phone now. G'day, Ian. Uh, G'day. Uh, Larry and Steve there as well uh, good to be here and uh, have a bit of a chat about uh, MGI and I really appreciate you guys uh, having interest in uh, what is really a growth area of, of golf 
It's our pleasure, mate. But um, I used the words object of desire there, and I stole them from your website. That's a big call for a golf buggy to call it an object of desire. But I've got to say, the golf buggies that MGI is making are a hell of a lot different to something you would have seen on a golf course 30 years ago. What got you started? Well, 25 years ago, it was probably out of necessity. I was bringing up a couple of children and really needed something to do with my father, uh, called me one day and said he wanted an electric buggy and uh, I really didn't have much of a, an idea about what one was because I was more of a tennis player and uh, anyway uh, long story short uh, I contacted this company up in Queensland and it was owned and operated by a gentleman who was uh, actually not very well at the time and uh, anyway uh, somehow he convinced me and uh, I saw an opportunity and uh, I bought the entire stock from him and uh, took over the business and brought it down to Melbourne and and that's how it started. It uh, was was just something that I saw as an opportunity. There weren't many retailers around selling them at all. In fact, uh, very rare to find a retailer 25 years ago uh, selling an electric buggy. But uh, I saw that people really wanted to walk the game of golf and uh, when when you're walking, why would you want to push or pull a buggy around? And uh, being a tennis player, I thought, I'm going to get into this business. Uh, we've got to really try to convince people to just enjoy the game of golf. And uh, I think you enjoy it more when you've got an electric buggy. And when you first came out with the buggies back in 1993, there was a certain demographic that I saw. I was a, I was a club professional at Barrel Golf Club and I was used to stock the gear. And, there was, and, and without insulting every member of Barrel <laughs> Golf Club who might be listening, there was a demographic, wasn't there, that, that I saw was um, little crippled old people you know, that were clinging on to the fact that they could walk around a golf course with an electric buggy but that demographic has changed dramatically hasn't it over the years definitely and, and i think uh, really through the design of the buggy what we wanted to do and have always tried to do is to bridge the gap between a push buggy and an electric buggy to make the electric buggy uh, look really uh, appealing if i can use the word sort of sexy uh, to have, well you have pretty well did in, in, in on your website haven't you object of I desire think- that'll pretty well that, that brings <laughs> we're talking sex there aren't we but we are Look, the, the, the Zip, uh, which is the newest design that we have, and we've been selling that around the world now for over 12 months, uh, we're exporting to 23 countries. It definitely uh, it is the, the best-looking buggy in, in the world, and uh, we're, we're just, uh, it, well, it, it's, it's amazing. The number of 20-year-olds now that, that are buying the, the buggy because uh, it, it does look good, uh, and, and most of them are buying the remote, the remote control, because they don't want to hang on to it. They want to send it away. They want to send it to the other side of the, the green or, or send it down the fairway. The younger people are into it because they look good, they're light, they, they fold down as easily, if not more easily, than a, a push buggy. They really answer all the questions that people have been asking about electric buggies. They, they really have come of age, and I'm very fortunate to be the owner of that company. In, in the history of design, you, we've seen a lot of things that look great in terms of the way they've been designed. The phrase style over substance comes to mind for me, but the thing with these MGI buggies of yours, they are really stylish-looking machines, but they've also got the substance. The, the technology that's behind them really enhances the look that they have. Is that a hard thing to do? We've always had the electronics design in Australia. We've been very fortunate to have some great relationships with electronic companies in Australia, software developers and so on. 
and uh, we've got great ideas and uh, you just got to put those ideas into reality and be prepared to invest a lot of money. So that's why we're into the remote. 50% of our, our business is in remote control. So it has an electronic gyroscope on board so that when you're sending it down the fairway, you're not having to adjust its direction at all. It, it will go where you send it to. It really just adds a lot of fun to the game. You're not having to worry about it. You just send it on its way. But technology is really at the forefront of our buggies and why people really like them. And from that technology comes reliability. And Larry, you'd remember 20, 25 years ago, just like cars, they weren't as reliable as they are today. When you buy an electric buggy today, you could be very confident uh, that uh, you're not going to have issues. Uh, you're going to have a really good game of golf every time you take that buggy out. Talking of technology, Ian, you're the first name I think of. When I think the word technology, I see the word I think of Ian Edwards because, and we're talking a bit about this off here, it's, it's, a, it's a useless bit of information, but back 25 years ago, I reckon I was your first customer, and you were the first person that I was talking on the phone to, and this is really the beginning of mobile phones, and suddenly you walked into the pro shop. I was sort of, I, hadn't, I just assumed you were sitting in the office in Melbourne at Nana Wadding te- talking to me and, and you walked into the pro shop with this brick hanging off the side of your ear which was the mobile phone of the 1990s <laughs> I didn't talk for about an hour I thought how does that happen I mean if I'm watching Lost in Space or something and Ian Edwards walks through the door so you definitely know your stuff about technology and it's a broad range too isn't it there's quite a lot of different types of buggies in that range of, of the MGI product. Yes, yeah we've got two series we've, we've got the Zip series, uh, which has got uh, four models, uh, they just start off with a basic uh, a walk behind and then you, you progress up to an X3, which has got a rotating or lockable front wheel. And then you've got an X5, which uh, is for downhill braking and has a park brake. So for any hilly courses like Bower and places like that, the X5 uh, is, is a fantastic buggy. And then uh, at the top of the tree, uh, we've got the Navigator. And then we've got and also a quad series, which is basically a four-wheel version of the Zip. Uh, but yeah, not, not as stylish, I, I don't think, as the Zip. But uh, in some places around the world, like the US, where they like things big, the quad series sells very well. So again, we have four models in the quad series. And uh, we're out there to provide people with what they want. We're not about to tell people what they want. We want to hear from them. They tell us what they want, and we design what they want. Well, just on that point, do you ever stop and think, well, that's it, we've produced the best buggy we possibly can, and then someone says, well, what about doing this, and, and the process starts all over again? I suppose you've had a few of those moments along the way. Uh, absolutely. There wouldn't be a, a, a week go by and somebody rings up and says, hey, look, have you ever thought about this? What's the weirdest thing someone's asked you to put on a buggy? The Careful. Weird. The weirdest thing. Someone said, why haven't you got this on a buggy or, or that? Or Listen, Ian, if you want to have a few months to think about that question and come back to us, that's okay. Yeah. Come on, Ian. You've- yeah, look, we've, we've had some weirdos. Uh, <laughs> <not> weirdos. <laughs> we've, we've had some real weird ones over the years. But, but, uh, but of course, for them, it's real. They, they, yeah. they think that, that, that it would add to the buggy. And, and in many ways, they do. But it, it's a big investment every time we make a change. But... We've got a lot of uh, developments happening. You'll soon be able to stop the buggy. Uh, the buggy will stop before a bunker. It will stop before oh, okay. the water. It will do all those things. It, it will know where it's going. And that that's where we're going with technology. And uh, uh, there's a lot of really good things that we've, we've got in the pipeline. Uh, we, it, it, you can't stop, really, because your opposition 
uh, although we don't have very much of it uh, around the world except in the UK, it is important to keep evolving. Uh, it's just like cars. I mean, you look at them today, uh, look at look electric cars and the way they're evolving, and it's the same with buggies. You've got to forever keep evolving, giving people what they want. Ian, it's a fantastic Australian story. I mean, you're a fantastic Australian story. Continued success in the future, and thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Steve and, and Larry. Look, I really appreciate it. I've been very, very fortunate. It's a, it's a family business. I've got my brother and two daughters uh, in, in the business, and I've got great staff. You can't do it by yourself, and uh, it's just really fantastic to have great people around you. And I think if you're going to have a successful business, uh, that's what you really need. I can only dream of that, Ian. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks, thanks again. Mate. Thanks, thanks Ian. Uh, thanks very much, guys. No worries. I really appreciate your supporting Australian business. Good on you, Ian. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. In the last episode of Backspin, we spoke to the Executive Director of the ISPA Hand Up Melbourne World Cup of Golf, Robin Cooper, but that was before the players were announced, so the excitement has built just that little bit more in the lead-up to the event later in November. And uh, Robin Cooper joins us once again on Backspin. Hello, Robin. Good morning. How are you both? Good, well, good, thanks. Robin. Yeah, going well. Exciting news that we've got Mark Leishman and, and Cam Smith now officially announced as the Australian representatives, which I think makes them nearly favourites for it. Robin, this is great news for Australian golf, isn't it? It's actually fantastic news. I think both of them are playing so well and um, looking very much you know, looking forward to them both coming home to play. It's been a while since um, you know we've had a, an event in Melbourne and you know, seen, um, seen Mark or Cameron here. So, no, we're really excited, and I think it's exciting for Melbourne in particular. When you go through the list of players who, who are coming to Melbourne for the event, and when you look at it in terms of the world of golf, not just mm. the, the US Tour or anything yep. like that, when you look at it as a global game, which is what it is and which, which is what this event is all about, it's a really, really good lineup of players. You know, it's, it's actually it's a fantastic lineup of players. You know, just looking in, if you know, you looked at the top 100, I think we've, We've got around 30 of the, the top 100. We've still got our name, you know, a lot of our partners. But when a lot of the top 100 is made up of, you know, US players, Australian players, and those top countries, to see the emerging countries sort of coming through, um, and they're the highest ranked, you know, if you look at the Chinese team, you know, it's, it's really exciting. So we're certainly um, very excited. So we're looking this morning at, you know, who's coming, you know, who's, you know, PGA Tour victories, you know, uh, how many international victories have got 108, President's Cup appearances, seven, mm-hmm. you know, Ryder Cup, six, and, you know, World Cup appearances, 29. So it's a, from, from our perspective, it, it really is a star-studded field. It was, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, a little bit disappointing, I guess, that, you know, some of the, the top-ranked Americans had some personal commitments on, but, you know, that, that's what happens on a, a schedule that's just got, you know, so much golf. So, um, you know, very excited to see, um, you know, Kyle Stanley coming and, um, and, and Matt Kuchar as well. It's great. It's one of those fields where you look across it, and like you're saying, there's all those statistics that you just mentioned there, but there's some plays here that I'm really looking forward to watching, and, and, and I know the Australians are as well. Thomas Peters from Belgium is one of the oh. most exciting players I've ever seen. He actually played in yeah. la- the last World Cup, Robin, down at Kingston Heath a couple of years ago, and he just blew everyone away. How good is this guy as a player? Who he brings with him will be interesting. It was Colsarts, I think, well, Colsarts, last time. It was Colsarts in, uh, in 16. I'm not, I haven't got any uh, no name next to him mm-hmm. yet, so I'm not sure who's going to bring, but I mean, he's... Um, you know, Ryder Cup player. He's actually really exciting as well, so I think he's one to watch. Last time we also saw Robin, it's not necessarily the highest ranked players that are leading at the end of the week. It's such a unique format that any of the, yeah. any of the teams can win, particularly the foursomes with the alternate shot. 
format. That is yeah. really fascinating how, how the, the some of the the teams that we didn't think were going to feature did during the, yeah. the two rounds of that. Yeah, it's interesting, and I suppose we always expect Australia to do so well down here. And you know, I think it was a little bit disappointing for them last time, but um, but no, it was great. I mean, the Chinese team did really well, um, and you know that that they were looking really exciting this time as well. Um, also, um, we had obviously the Danes won, and I think the French came in third. So yep. it is you get to see some. You know, some of these different countries, the European tour, I mean, the very fact that we've got all the different tours of the world yeah. playing here in one event, I think, is really exciting. And, you know, the players don't necessarily pick their the next ranks. I mean, obviously, with, with Mark, he did. But, you know, they, they also pick, you know, who they're mates with. And I think that, you know, Jonathan Vegas, you know, yep, it, yep. he played with his brother last time and, and you know, probably going to play with his brother again. We'll wait and see. But, you know, I think that's what adds to the, you know, the interest of the event as well. So. It's the world's coolest name, isn't it? Johnny Vegas, isn't it? Oh, I love Johnny Vegas. He's great. We're very he should have sideburns and, 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 and a guitar or something, shouldn't he? <laughs> what, what, what makes it even cooler is the fact that it's it's J-H. It's not J-O. He's got the H after the J. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. He has. Yeah. He has. That's true. Hey, That's true. He brought his family down last time. It was fantastic. Oh, he had okay. a great time, and I know he's really excited to come down again. President's Cup player. So, yep. I mean, that's an exciting... I mean, there's an exciting player. You know, he's not... You know, Venezuela. So, mm, yeah. you know, it's not uh, a country that you usually associate with golf. So I think very opportunity for a player like that playing in a, you know, President's Cup team and, and coming out to Australia. We're really lucky to see it. Well, Robin, the excitement will continue to build towards uh, the, the first round, which is on Thursday, the 22nd of November at the Metropolitan Course. And obviously, people can get tickets. Now, I did mention this last time, but it's one of those things. Get your tickets in advance. Make sure you're going to be on the course for the event. 100%. It's, go- it's going to be a great event. It was a great event last time. And, you know, we're really excited by the field and, and the excitement. There's some young players coming through, the, the Indian team. They're just There's going to be a lot of players to watch, and they're the up-and-coming, you know, guns, I think. Yep. and. You know, Australia's going to have their work cut out for them. It's not going to be too easy for Mark and Cam, but hopefully that hometown experience will, you know, really help them and um, love to see Australia lift the, you know, lift the trophy again. So, yep. yep. Good on you, Robin. Thank you for your time once again. We're not no going to ring you every week. We will talk to you again before <laughs> oh, you the can, event. Though. Yes, we are. Welcome to. <laughs> we can. Yeah. Same time tomorrow, Robin. <laughs> I'm biased, but I love it. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, right. Robin. Thanks, Robin. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Yes, he's really committed to uh, making people play great golf. He's really committed to making me play great golf. Has been for a long time, but it still doesn't happen. But anyhow, doesn't matter. But waggling is something that you wanted to talk about today. What is waggling, Larry, and why is it so important? Waggling, Stephen, is the movement of the golf club or body or any part of you before taking the club away to strike the golf ball. Then one of the worst things a golfer can do is stand over the ball stagnantly, not moving in there, and then rip the club away too quickly, uh, usually in the wrong direction, and and then the whole golf swing is is in trouble after that point. Um, Some of the great players, Steve, um, over the years, I've I've studied their swings, obviously, because I'm a pro, but I've also had a good look at their waggles. Um, And I, I believe... The smoothest, best, most consistent players have the smoothest and best waggles. Um, and probably it came to a head for me when I was watching Matt Jones win the Australian Open a few years ago, 2.15, I think. Um, and, and he's one of the, the quickest golfers, if not the quickest golfer on the planet at, at that level. Um, and there's nothing stops moving. Once he gets over the ball, a little waggle of the club, foot goes there, foot goes there, a little bit of a knee press and the, and the, and the golf swing begins. And it's beautiful looking golf swing. And you look at a guy like, there's a guy on the US Tour, I don't know whether you've seen him, called Patrick Cantlay. 
I have I'll, seen him play. Have you seen? They've counted 27 looks at the target before he strikes a single shot. 27 times he looks up at the target, looks back at the ball. Nothing is moving. He's in trouble. If he doesn't change that, he'll be off the tour, possibly in some kind of sanitarium. Um, stacking shelves at the sanitarium, let's say. I don't know. <laughs> he needs to change it badly. And Keegan Bradley's another one with a terrible routine. Uh, he's won recently and he has improved it slightly, but he was one of the guys he would walk behind the golf ball, look down, try and visualise the shot, take two steps towards the ball. No, nah, that's wrong. Back. Another two steps. No, nah, that's wrong again. And he got himself in a bit of trouble through that. Well, he's been in a bit of a slump. He's but come out of it, but... I have to say on that point, in the world of sport, let's move beyond golf. Look at Steve Smith in cricket. The, the amount yeah, of things yeah. that, that that bloke, that routine that he's got every single time, he touches this and touches mm. that and all sorts of things. <laughs> Very good player. What's he touch? Uh, he doesn't touch that. Listen a bit. No, his ears and... Everything and, else know, but like that. Yeah. sleeve and, and Ruff and Adal. Yeah, yeah, he's in a bit of trouble. Ruff and Adal's <laughs> is getting more and more bizarre all the time, but yeah. um, it's his routine mm. before he, you know, serves. And it, it, I reckon it's, it's a bit to do with the... The modern coaching, Stephen, where it's become very um, specific in, in, in p- positions where the racket or the cricket bat or the golf club needs to be, and they're thinking too much of that, I think. The, the point I'm making is it borders on, I mean, what you're talking about with Patrick Cantlay there, that borders on obsessive, compulsive mm. behaviour sort of thing, as do these things like, you know, Rafa with his drink bottles lining up and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but that is bizarre. They, they, they perform, he's been doing that for a long time, but performs at a very high level. So maybe what you're talking about with someone like Patrick Cantlay is a totally different thing to a bit of a waggle. I think, well, I'd start, if I was his mental coach, I'd start waggling. I'd, I'd get him, I'd, he'd be waggling. By the time he'd left me, Steve, he would be waggling for the rest of his life. Whatever he does, getting that waggle before he got in the car. He'd be waggling like a 60s dancer in a go-go cage, wouldn't he? Let's go with that, Stevie. Now, hey, good good wagglers. Can I just yes. point out Jordan Spieth, I believe, has a great waggle and a little bit of a knee kick before he starts his swing. Rory McIlroy has a beautiful waggle. Beautiful waggle. <laughs> I love Rory's waggle. But so there, there's a couple of good examples. Old Freddie Couples back in my day. He had a beauty too. That's it, Steve. Do you need to move the whole body? Uh, what I was going to ask for your, your average player now that you've, you've got your, your bit of uh, love out of the way for all your, <laughs> you, you, the great wagglers over your golfing history, do you, is it a matter of moving the whole body or is it just any part of it to yeah, get. Just a, little, just a little kick here, a little bit of a, a lift of the left toe or right toe or. A little bump with the knee towards the ball and then draw the club away. Just keep the club moving slowly um, before you swing the club away. The waggle shouldn't be fast unless you're a fast swinger. Tom Watson had a fast waggle. He was a fast swinger at work for him. But if you want to be nice and smooth, like roaring. Well, the one, yeah, the, the one you taught me is going pretty well, too. It's just a jump to the left and then <laughs> a jump to the right. You I love fit, it. It's going. fishnet stocking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the bit where I've got to pull my knees in tight, though, that doesn't work for my swing. Hey, um, you're not going to spit this week. You've come. You are very relaxed this week, yeah. but you do want to talk about uh, some of the other golfers other than the multi-millionaires, mm. don't you? Yeah, we had a bit of a crack at the, the FedEx Cup last show, didn't we? Yeah. And I've had a bit of a crack in, in, in Inside Golf Magazine about it too, so I'm not going to stop building that. And I'd rather Australians take a bit more interest in what's happening with some of our really good young players on the European Tour. Now, Right down the, the the bottom end of the money list, and they to be to keep your card for next year for Europe, you've got to be 110th on the race to Dubai points list. We currently have uh, Jason Scrivener on 111th, with only a handful of events to go, 
Um, the guy keeping him out of 111th at, at 110 is Adam Bland, another Australian. He mm. has, he's had a crack at the European Tour, played mostly in Japan. Uh, Lucas Herbert, um, and this is an extraordinary talent, this kid. He's only 23, I think, years old. Um, he's he's 103rd, so he's looking good. You got to be. He's still, you know, there's still enough events for someone to pop him out, but he's still looking good. So I'm watching this each time I look at a golf tournament. I, you know, it's interesting to see who wins and why and how, but straight down and see how these Australians are all, all going down this end, end of the money list. Demetrius Papadatis, um, there's a name. God, that's a Greek, beautiful Greek name, isn't it? Um, he's playing the European Challenge Tour, the secondary tour. He's on the edge of key, of getting a card for Europe next year through that. So he's he's in pretty good shape for with a handful of events to go. So, um, you know, it, it's it's fascinating watching the millionaires get richer, but... This, this to me is what it's all about. This is this is what I relate to because I, to get that close and then not get over the line is just it's horrible, and it sets you back a year or two in your in your progress. So hopefully we'll have all these guys on the European Tour again next year because we've had a bit, bit thin in the European Tour the Australians. These guys all have the um, the ability to win on the European Tour easily. Demetrius Papadatis is he wins it whatever he wants to win he seems to win it. Why have we been thin on on the European Tour? Is it just uh, the 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 competitive level there to get on the tour? It's the PGA, is on the rise. The PGA Tour, well, we we call it the American Tour. Uh, the money got that high in that that everyone just strove for, to, to get onto that tour, and the European money list wasn't quite as strong. They've had that Rolex have got inter- um, have invested some money into the European Tour and it's bumped it up a, a lot of money and now I think we're getting a lot of players now looking at playing in Europe and it's a, it's a stepping stone as well, Steve. If you want to play in America, play in Europe and this is what Brooks Kepka did for so many years and now he's one of the best players in the world. Good luck to you, boys. Do you reckon Rolex had put some money into backspin as well? I reckon they they're definitely will. Yeah. Golf? I, I, maybe we should start with Citizen. Now, what's a what's a cheaper watch? <laughs> Woolies. <laughs> Why do you want to start at the bottom? Let's go straight to the top. Let's go to Mr. Rolex. Slazenger. Well, we'll start with Slazenger. We'll work our way up. One for me, one for Larry, and <laughs> one for our dear friend Buncey, the button pusher. <laughs> you know where mine's going, don't you? Yeah. Straight, straight into eBay. No, only joking. No, only joking. <laughs> You've just ruined our chances. Oh, <laughs> Larry, thank you once again. It's always a pleasure to get together with you and talk about golf. It is a pleasure for you, Steve. Yes. <laughs> don't forget, people. If you want to talk to us, send us an email. Yes. Um, give us a call. Here's Larry's mobile number. Facebook. Um, <laughs> whatever get in contact and tell us your story this has been backspin thanks to inside golf more again very soon